Well, Jacob Chastain, I have another question. Hmm. This one involves writing. And one of the things that I want to know is, I know that you have a, I don't know, a reputation for having your students do a lot of poetry because your book came out rightfully empowered and a lot of your students that you selected or that were in there, they it was poetry that you had them write. So my question is, how do you ensure that your students have uh, experience with all different other types of writing as well? It's a good question. It was, you know, what's funny is that was, uh, that was one of my worries. Um, back when I was kind of drafting rightfully empowered at first, because I knew if I wanted to feature tons of student writing, that there would be tons of poetry. I mean, you, you see my wall right now, right? The, I have two walls covered in writing and we have meetings in my classroom. They are covered in poetry. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, so I mean, it's still what happens. Um, and there's other things on there. Some there's articles kids have written. There are stories. There are musings. Um, they're what I call micro prose, where it's like a you know like a a good chunk of um, like a description or something. And I I got that idea from I don't I haven't really ever heard that term used before. But I got like the term micro prose as well. Anything I refer to that like could theoretically be fiction or really kind of uh, exposition of some kind, but it's not a full piece necessarily, right? Like describing the feeling of being in a rain, like in a room where it's raining outside, right? That might be a micro pro. So I have a lot of students who jump into stuff like that, partly because we read things like that. But to answer your question, to get to get kids that exposure to those things, to get them to uh, write in these things is essentially... Um, a lot of that I really trust in the mini lessons, meaning that we cover different genres all the time. I probably hit, I mean, minimum two genres every single week. There is rare, there's rarely a week where we only study one genre. We're only looking at poetry or fiction, even when we have a test that is primarily focused on something, right? Um, and we're kind of shooting for that. I still pull in other things. It's just how I teach is what makes me comfortable. I'm always trying to do the, the multi-genre approach to some degree. Um, so there is that we, which, so they, they're getting just so much exposure to all those different genres. Um, what, to answer the question, I kind of have to point out the reason why kids, I feel like lean towards poetry so much is they realize there's so much freedom in it, right? Because I don't, uh, we look at poetry forms, um, but I don't stress it too much. I talk about line breaking and I use line breaks specifically to teach grammar because when we start breaking lines into uh, pieces, right? When we start taking meaning and breaking it apart, what you're getting kids to do is focus on language in those parts, right? I mean, it's essentially doing what sentence diagrammers want to happen, right? It's it's knowing what sections are which and all of that. It's about pockets of meaning. Um, I just find that teaching kids to do uh, line breaks uh, in poetry form uh, does the same thing, but in a less uh, restrictive way, so to speak. Um, and so when I have students write a lot of the times, a lot of the times we have students that really, they have uh, English isn't their first language, or they don't have a lot of experience just with grammar in general, and they don't read as much, or they haven't read as much when they got to my classroom, so they don't have that experience. 
So I teach them line breaks because I want them to start thinking about language in these little pockets of meaning. What does it mean to like have a phrase, right? Where would a pause be in this massive sentence that you wrote for three lines and there's no periods or commas? I want them to get to that level. So that's where that comes from. It's not the over push of poetry. It's that once they get comfortable with it, then they feel smart about it because they're like, oh yeah, I, I put this line here on purpose. And we start having those conversations. So they feel pride in it. They feel like they're doing something uh, creative, which they are. And they feel like they're doing something at a higher level, which they are. And that's something to be uh, mindful of because my whole goal is to get them excited about writing, get them excited about putting words on the page, about creating. And to do that, I need them to just have that success. And then what ends up happening is every once in a while, I will set up a time to where we say, you know, the, for these three weeks, we're doing nonfiction. You need to write at least one nonfiction piece and your second piece can be whatever you want. So that's one way that I narrow it down to get kids into specific genres. And then another way is oftentimes after like I have a student right now, they have just like exploded in these like last like few weeks before the end of the year with all of this writing and uh, keen observations and, and really closing out some interesting pieces. And I started going, you know, is this the only way we can talk about this? And so I start having conferences with students about what are other genres we could explore this? You know, you, you, you say you've written, um, you know, four pieces about depression, for instance, you know, what, what would an article look like? In that instance, what would a a story look like? And so I start trusting that conferencing process and trusting that if they're comfortable in what they're doing and they're writing a lot, when I start suggesting some other things, um, maybe they'll latch on to that. You know what? I, in these moments, I remember stuff like, uh, um, Jeff Anderson has said things like this. Donald Grace has said things like this. Um, Penny Kittle has said things like this, but it's the, when you teach something, uh, expecting it to be used right away is the wrong kind of thinking, right? To, to be like, oh, I taught this. Now I need you to do it. Now I'm not saying like in the lesson still, but once they're off in their independent work or whatever, um, always stressing about that can be very painful because it's like, why aren't they using the common rules we talked about? Or why aren't they using the forms we talked about? And it's, you trust the process. One lesson on, uh, how to write an argumentative essay um, where there's no restriction of that's what they should do. It might not be enough to get them there, but if they start writing, let's say a poem that is kind of argumentative as the teacher, I can start going, Hey, what would this look like? I think this is, I know you're writing poetry here, but what would this look like as an argumentative essay? You think we could explore that? And you know, sometimes they're like, no Chastain, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this, but it's those conversations that guide this, right? And then when those conversations aren't enough or when I want something specific, um, then I do put just a mild limitation on uh, a piece that they need to write. So that, that's how I address it. Well, they're very good. So I was just kind of curious. <laughs> but anyway, with that, everybody, that is Jacob Chastain. I'm Pam Ochoa, and welcome to Craft and Draft. So what are we going to talk about today, Jacob? Well, today, Miss Ochoa, is we're going to be diving into part two, I suppose, of the National <laughs> Council of Teachers of English, NCTE, and their Media Education and English Language Arts uh, article. We only got through about 20% 
uh, last episode, um, we need to dive into more because this is this is extremely uh it's it, it's extremely in the in the world of what we do it's it's timely it's something that we should think about and we value i mean we reference research all the time on the podcast we reference all these things because even though what we're doing in our classroom is very specific uh having these other touchstones i feel like is important it helps shape our thinking it helps bring stuff to our team so we can really process this together and work together and you're my team and the audience is our team, right? We're all we're right. all doing this together. So I figured it'd be nice just to have this little professional development, uh, you know, study of an article and see what we think about it. So that's what we're talking about today. We're really going to focus on the writing side, but we might make it a little bit farther past that. We'll see how deep we can go on this one. But before we do that, I want to tell you that this podcast is really only possible because you guys support it. Y'all subscribe, you review, you share, you stay a part of this community that loves to talk about reading around and work shop every single week. And then we have super supporters who jump over there to Patreon and support us. And they and they ensure that this podcast keeps going and keeps staying free for everyone else and ensures that we get to do extra stuff for you guys uh, as, as just something that we get to to add to our list of things to do. And we love to do that. But that is Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, Alicia. They support us over there on Patreon just like you can. They get bonus episodes no one else on planet Earth will ever hear because they exist only there. They get bonus video content. Uh, we have our Craft and Draft demo video uh, up there to where you can see what we're talking about when we talk about Craft and Draft. They also get first in line to questions and a whole bunch of other perks, including some merch that some people should be getting soon because they've supported us uh, long enough. So we got some stickers. I believe there's a toad in there. There's going to be some some interesting things going out. Uh, some actual merch, which is wild. Teach Me Teacher doesn't even have merch. So what is up with that, you guys? Anyway, thank you for supporting. Thank you for subscribing. Let's get to the conversation. All righty, Miss Ochoa. I have to ask. You and I bonded. We sat in one little room for a whole year together. Now, we, we left the room, but we were in that room a large portion of our week. We worked in there. We did PLCs in there. We did data dives in there. We debated in there. <laughs> we, we, did. We, we did all kinds of things in this room. <laughs> and one of the other things that we stumbled across was our unique and oddly similar experiences with farming and, and gardening. <laughs> and we've... And I, we are, we did our research and we became fascinated by the, the people that like modern farmers and how they grow plants and the, the, the unique ways to do these things. And we kind of, you know, I jumped off and I tried to do some like potatoes and I like killed them all somehow and all this other stuff, but you've been working in your garden today. And I just, you know, before we get to that, the heaviness of another look at the NCT article, how, what are you doing in this garden? You're like, I've been doing yard work. I've been doing all this stuff. Are you gardening? Are you are you growing things? Or is this like, is this just like lawn work? Well, this was lawn work today, okay. but my daughter's growing things. She's, uh, she's decided, my daughter lives with me. So she's decided uh, every time I turn around, she's bringing in a new plant that she's, she's got sunflowers and uh, she's got uh, tomatoes growing and she's got peppers growing. 
Anyway, she's uh, onions are growing, and then she's got some marigolds and snapdragons. So she's the one doing all that this time. I've kind of let her uh, do what she wants to in the garden, and me, I'm I'm doing the the uh, cutting hedges, uh, cutting up branches. I did have to ask my dad to come over because he has the chainsaw. So we were chainsawing out there today because of our last winter uh situation where we had all that ice you know we were out for a few days i had some branches big huge branches fell and so anyway i was busy cutting up branches i was doing that kind of work today lawn mowing moving leaves so but yeah i'm probably going to get out there and and plant some of my own stuff but right now it's just a matter of getting it cleaned up enough to do so so anyway, that's what I've been doing today. I see. I see. <laughs> see, I was in my head. You were like, I'm no. I'm like, oh, is she jumping into to farming again? And I, I'm uh, saying, I'm saying farming like, <laughs> like facetiously. We're not like, not like you know, gardening. I you don't know? have. Yeah. No, I usually have. Uh, I, I've grown squash and I've grown corn. I've uh, grown. Uh, uh, let's see zucchini and I, I tried by hand at watermelon but that takes a lot of water and i don't think i could get enough water in there um anyway okra and i've had lettuce and tomatoes and strawberries so that's typically what i do i just haven't done it since i had my knee surgeries so i had some knee surgeries about a year or so ago and then covid hit so we were kind of stuck in our house so kind of let my garden go well interestingly enough my son has shown some interest in, you know, like growing some stuff. They did a, a science experiment or whatever where they grew like a little, I don't know, like a plant. I don't know what it was. Um, <laughs> and so we actually got him a thing to kind of do that. Maybe this maybe something to help him. Anytime we can get my kid, you know, kind of away from technology into some things, into caring about other things mm-hmm. just outside of himself, it's always good. He's very cranial. He lives in his own little world sometimes, but... We try to uh, to broaden that, but you know, some ironically enough, I feel like this topic connects somehow to this. We're going to see how farming and gardening and lawn work uh, connect well, to this. Well, one of the things, you know, my my I, my three year old granddaughter also lives with me, and uh, of course, her mom's doing all the gardening. But but really, what we're doing is we've got some pots that are just for my granddaughter, and she got to put some seeds in there. And then she comes right in the other day and she's like, grandma, grandma, come and look, it's growing, it's growing. And so she's, she's got her sunflower. So really she's the one that put the sunflower seeds in there and they're all growing and she's so excited about it. We have to go and look at her garden every day. So it's fun for these little ones to be able to see something growing. It's really uh, encouraging and fulfilling. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the natural way, you know, there's, mm-hmm. I, I once read a, a, it was a quote, I don't remember where it was, but they were talking about how there's people that go their whole lives without knowing like just basic plant like terms, right? And like basic plant, like if, like looking at like leaves and knowing what they are. I know you can, I've seen you do it. You're like, that's this, that's this, that's that. See, I can't do that. So like when I say the people do that, I'm talking about me. Like I, if you, sh- if you walked me into a garden, I could not point out probably 95% of those. And I, I honestly, that's kind of, that's like a negative to me. It's like, it's a, you know, it's, it's literally the natural world. And it's just like, ah, yeah, but what's this shiny object? You know what I mean? It's right. something I should probably work on. 
Well, I enjoy it. I just, uh, it kind of all fell apart when we had that long winter and, uh, you know, so, but I, I'm going to, we're working on it. We are working on it. We have well, stuff growing though. Just I'm not the one responsible for it. Well, the other stuff we're working on is making our way through this NCTE article. It's, all it's, right. It's, it's so, uh. It's it's a big article. Like I said on the previous episode, one if you haven't heard our the episode before this one where we uh, went through a good chunk of it, go do so because this is a continuation of that conversation um, on different days. But it is a you know I, I really love that conversation. I think we raised some questions and some agreements and maybe some disagreements and. I think all of y'all are are very in the know about these things. So surely you are uh, diving into it. If you haven't yet because you just haven't had time or this is the first episode you're listening about this, go click the link. It's going to be in the description. You can kind of read along with us. But essentially what this paper is is, you know, it's their stance on where they think media and the English classroom collide. And they, uh, quite frankly, think it collides a lot and that it should continue colliding and – and that the English classroom should, and I quote, decenter books and essays in favor of some other things. And I think that is uh, an interesting argument. But um, we talked a lot about that in the previous episode. This one we're going to talk about kind of core theme number two, which they outlined this paper in, in a couple themes. So this one is about empowering voice with writing, speaking, and self-expression. So you know when I saw this, I was like, sweet, we're talking my language. Um, but you never know. Some we some people use different terms in different ways, so you always got to read. So I just kind of want to take a second to read a, a chunk of this real quick. It says, teachers of English language arts acknowledge that reading, writing, speaking, what? Reading, writing, speaking, and writing oh, should be should. central. Did you see that? Should have said, yeah, I should have said revising. Yeah. <laughs> <Or> editing. <laughs> wow, that threw me off. I was like, oh. Whoops. All right. So somebody, they say, somebody missed something in the edit. Yeah, anyway, they, say, they say writing twice. That's funny. Um, anyway, that reading, writing, and speaking should be central to the ELA classroom, and they value the opportunity to help students become thoughtful and effective communicators. But some teachers feel pressure to prepare learners to succeed only on a few specific kinds of academic writing tasks, such as writing a five-paragraph essay, while others believe that speaking in multimodal composing activities take up too much classroom time. Ooh, they're throwing the gauntlet. Are they not, Ms. They are throwing the gauntlet. I think that, I, you know, when I was an academic coach, and I loved everybody I worked with, but that was one of the big things when I would go in and, and make a suggestion, one of the first things they would say almost almost immediately was, and even give me the, the signal for time out, you know, uh, no time, no time. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. And so, uh, yeah, that is definitely throwing the gauntlet down. Well, and you have the, I mean, this is stuff that, I mean, this is interesting because they're we've acknowledged and continue to acknowledge the restrictions on traditional classrooms. We, Mm -hmm. we work in schools that have limitations. We, uh, uh, there's limitations to curriculum, to what we have to do for testing, um, to what we have time for all of that stuff. Uh, we, we live in that. And I, I imagine the writers of this are aware of that. And yet here they're saying, uh, people feel the pressure, uh, 
to prepare learners to succeed only in a few kinds of specific things. So it's, it's the, they're, they're acknowledging that the system itself is kind of a part of the problem, if not the problem, right? Cause it, it's hard to imagine that we would really ever teach the five paragraph essay outside of, uh, systematic reasons that force us into it. Would, I mean, would you say that's true? Like, would we teach the five paragraph essay if there was really no reason to anymore, like in terms of test prep? Well, I don't necessarily teach the five paragraph essay, to be honest. I teach them how to write essays. And if they happen to be five paragraph, okay. But I'm all right if they're six paragraph or if they're four paragraph, as long as they're logical in their reasoning. Well, see, now you're dodging the question, though. How am I dodging the question? <laughs> you said... I ask think, it again, Mr. Which, Chastain. Ask may, it again. Maybe I asked specifically about you, in which case you wouldn't. The listeners will have to yeah. I don't. That. I don't want to pigeonhole myself to a five-paragraph essay, I think. Right. But what if, anyway, but like, would, would, would we even, like, would this be a thing if there wasn't... Would teachers teach the five-paragraph essay if... Uh, if there was no quote unquote uh, formula for the tests that require these things, Texas famously our seventh grade test and our fourth grade test kind of push kids into this little box, so to speak. But is there, in other words, is there value in the five paragraph essay outside of this? Does it only exist because of test prep? Would we teach it if there was no test? And by we, I mean the royal we, Miss Ochoa, not you and I, but English teachers at large. Well, you're probably right. I mean, I think for some reason it came down as what's expected, and and uh, that's they say that's getting us ready for college. And and uh, I know that when uh, I taught history, it was um, especially with uh, pre AP or AP history, they really wanted the five, and it had to be a five paragraph essay, and that was because of the test. That's what they required on the test. So I think you're right. Well, in that case, let's carry on to uh, right. some more things <laughs> in this. It says, outside of the ELA classroom, the creative work of effective speakers can be found in a wide array of media genres and forms, including journalism, blog posts, advertising, political campaigns, YouTube videos, social media, BuzzFeed style listicles, which I have never heard that term. I've heard BuzzFeed, obviously, but the, the term listicle was something new to me. Photo essay, podcasts, infographics, and many other forms. Many students are more familiar with these forms than they are with traditional academic genres. When students can compose in a genre they are familiar with and enjoy, they can explore ideas and issues in ways that academic writing alone cannot provide, often by deepening their emotional response to text. Now, I found this super fascinating because their argument right here and it's back they they cite some research that people can go dive into um their argument is kids are more familiar with infographics and you know listicles and all of these other forms of writing and what they're saying is we can use these to deepen their ability to explore complex ideas and basically as doorways into deeper thinking and then maybe move it that into more academic stuff. But that's, I mean, th that's how I'm, do you, are you reading it like that way that they're saying, Hey, use what's here because this is how we're going to get them engaged. And then we can kind of move them wherever we need to move them. Do you read it that way? Yeah, I do. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, I do think that uh, when you can get 
students in, invested in something they care about, then I think they would have a reason to move to different to different genres. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with it. I think it's a, uh, I mean, it's kind of the reason I use a lot of slam poetry is because slam poetry is more engaging um, on the face than, you know, like an Emily Dickens poem. And I love Emily Dickens or yeah, like if I get, I can give them a poem that has the same themes as Invictus. But if I put Invictus in front of seventh graders without any kind of prep work or preamble, um, you know, they might check out, right? They, as great as that poem is, it's probably my favorite poem of all time. I'm uh, thinking about using it. Oh, it's so good. I've, I actually have copies printed if you need one. I printed it. I okay. just haven't done it. I've made them and then I I never used it because we just, we kind of went down a different path and I just like, well, I'll save these for later. But yeah, Invictus, it's a, I mean, it's a great poem, but you know, sometimes if I want to teach Invictus, I need to teach something that's a little bit more engaging first, right? If we, if I, if when I did my little Emily Dickinson unit not too long ago, that was effective because of all the kind of pre-work that I did, so to speak. It's almost like a, it's almost, you know, it's like a, it's like a catch and release model, right? It's like we get their attention here. And then once we get them comfortable, then it's like, Hey, check this out. You know, it's the whole idea like Donald and Miller and all them talk about is, you know, if we want kids to really not only read the classics, but want to read them and really be able to comprehend them and, and live in that world, you know, maybe we should give them like a hundred awesome books that they can just relate to and have a bunch of success with. And then we can be like, Hey, check out the outsiders. Hey, check out the giver. Hey, check out, you know, Jane Eyre, you know, take, uh, check out East of Eden or whatever we're trying to push kids into. It's that whole, you know, bring them in with what they're comfortable with and then slowly move them. I think that's the unique craft. I mean, this is, this is writing workshop. Is it not? It is writing workshop. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking about using it. I'm. I'm. I'm really truly thinking about using Invictus w- uh, as a paired text with uh, with the outsiders. The idea that they've gone through a hard time, and and then I want to investigate: Do they? Are they really a master of their fate? You know. See, I feel so like if, if if you're going to dive into that, I almost want to ask like. I mean, I feel like that opens so many doors to like talking about, you know, what is there, are they predetermined to behave this way because of their backgrounds or because of the the way society is? Did society set their destinies because of this? Because if if society wasn't built that way, they wouldn't, none of this would have happened. They wouldn't have these gang wars or these rivalries. I feel like that's, that's exactly what Invictus talks about. Right. And so that's what I kind of want to do a little compare contrast with it. And then ask the kids, do you have control? Do you not have control? Does setting literally impact oh, that, there's everything our, you do? There's our standard right there. <laughs> there it is. That's literally our standard. How does setting anyway, affect the plot? Yeah. So that's the lesson I want to do. I'm not ready for it yet, but I figured we might do that right after um you know, after we do the Robert Frost and then I think it should come right, right around there when they're, you know, towards the end, right before he writes his essay. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely kind of like a a capstone thing. I mean, that's some extension Mm -hmm. right there, taking outsiders and putting Invictus with it. I mean, who boy, you know, what's cool. Have you ever seen my first exposure to this? Um, 
to that poem was a, it was a, I believe it was a soccer movie with Matt Damon. It might've been called the Invictus actually. Yeah. Uh But they, they, the preview for that, I remember hearing it and it was the, it's the trailer for the movie and they're reading this poem over it. Right. And it's like, here I am unbowed. My head may be bloody no matter how dark from pole to pole or whatever. I'm I'm butchering Uh it right now. But like, I was like, I remember hearing this and going, what is this? This is awesome. Like, this is such great stuff. And then to come to find out it's this old poem that's been around forever. And I was just like, wow. Like it was like one of my first moments as like a younger person where I was like, this is incredible. And this was written however long ago. I mean, it's so powerful for what it is. And to compare that with the outsiders, I mean, that's, 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 that's some good stuff right there. Miss Ochoa. Well, I'm hoping we'll see. We'll find (laughs) out. I'll have to report back. We're yeah, not we'll, there yet. It we'll won't de- be for a week or two. We will definitely. I'm working it up. That. Um, so moving on to this, uh, they kind of talk about they talk about something interesting that I kind of wanted to to point out because I think ironically enough it connects to, um, it connects to what you asked me about at the start of the start of this. So it says because not all students have the same access to compose or share digital media outside of the classroom. Teachers can address issues of equity and media participation by providing students multiple opportunities to write and remix media genres within the classroom as part of a media-rich academic writing curriculum. Um, This idea of remixing, of, I I imagine, you know, putting genres against each other and, and the kind of, you know, I feel like that's a, that's a their way of saying what we've talked about before is talking about how argument is in poetry, how argument is in fiction, how all of these things. It's remixing, so to speak, um, some of this stuff. And I really like that idea because that's the world kids live in, right? TikTok is all remixing. It's everyone stealing from each other to create like another funny thing. And they just live in this world. But I, I find this fascinating of like I, I thought my like asking myself, you know, how do we how do how do how can I encourage kids to remix forms and kind of break out? Because there's some kids here. I'll give you a concrete example. I have one student. He's in my honors class. He writes in the middle of the page every time, and it drives me insane because I'm like, there's lines on the page for a reason. And we've had this discussion multiple times, and I go, my friend. Why are you writing in the middle of the page right now? And he goes, well, it looks like a movie. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you know, like when the credits are there, you know, at the beginning of Star Wars or like in the credits or whatever, you know, it's in the middle and it's kind of rolling like that. So that's how I see this in my head. So he had a reason for doing it, right? He likes the form. He thinks it applies to this. And even though I have, I've, I've, he's written several pieces like that, but I've also forced him kind of out of that bubble a little bit. Um, There was a part of me that's like, I mean, he's just remixing in his own way. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's creating his own form for his own purpose. And even though we have things that we need to do in our classrooms and forms that we need to push and, and get them to understand, you know, quote unquote, proper ways of doing things. There's a part of me that's like, sweet, you're, you're doing something unique. You might have five fans based on this, or you might have 10 billion fans based on this one little quirk. Emily Dickinson probably couldn't have imagined that people were going to talk about her uh, M dashes forever and write dissertations about the power of her M dashes and the meaning of all of these dashes, but she did it because it was her quirk. He might, this might be his quirk. That's true. That's true. No, I think it's, uh, what a great way to add creativity 
also to your classroom. Uh, one of the things that uh, I know that helps students uh, actually close a lot of gaps in their learning is using creativity, having them create things that haven't ever been done before. So I think that'd be a great thing to do. Um, I, you know, I like students to try different things and, and try new things. I think that's why, you know, the, uh, when we started doing our people started doing the genre of what is it? The, uh, the novel in, in, uh, in poetry form, you know, that, that type of thing, uh, you know, that was brand new, really not too long ago that people started doing that. So it's kind of, a you know, on a regular basis, especially for young adult, uh, YA literature and things like that. So, uh, you know, having the kids, I like to have them, uh, write their pieces and then just kind of like what you said earlier, they look at it and I say, what else does it want to be? Here you've written an essay, but what else can it be? Can it be a story? Can it be a poem? You know, maybe do a found poem in their essay that they just did. So, uh, or a blackout poem uh, from your from their own writing. So not just from somebody else's. So it'd be kind of cool uh, to kind of explore different things. But when they're talking here, I'm kind of thinking they're talking about media genres. I mean, what do you think? Were they? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely, right? I mean, they're definitely talking about you know, like merging like different types of media composition, right? Like in, and blending certain things. I mean, maybe blending news with, (laughs) I don't know, like a, like a news style broadcast with, um, a tweet or, you know, like, I I guess stuff like that. I'm just thinking, thinking on my feet, but playing with different forms. Um, maybe not always just writing and turning in pieces and, maybe recording mm-hmm. them saying something or recording a conversation they have or any of those number of things. But I yeah, don't know. It's fascinating. Well, they go on and they have like these three bulleted uh, list here and they said um, to kind of do these things. Um, said to this end, teachers benefit from developing confidence to implement instructional strategies that include developing reading, listening and viewing activities. They use text, whose target audience cross between age boundaries. That's interesting. Using multimodal composition practices to deepen critical engagement with academic content and present learners personal stances on contemporary social issues and supporting learners as they compose messages to inform, persuade, entertain, using language, music, and sound to advance critical listening and performance skills. This last one is the one that fascinates me the most. The, the, Really, I mean, this is purpose, right? Supporting mm-hmm. learners as they compose messages to inform, persuade, entertain, using language, music, and all of these other things. And that's something to where, uh, you know, I think of my students who have decided to write raps or decided to write lyrics or decided to write anything like that, but they've done it to, uh, like when we did our research, this was kind of the thing. It was like, okay, so based on your research, or do you want to inform, persuade, entertain? And what kind of forms do you want to use from that? I think this is, I mean, I just see nothing wrong with this kind of push of, of seeing how far we can push creativity and critical thinking and, and using writing as the foundation, but not limited to just that. And I, I'll say that's where I need to work on my own stuff, just kind of reading this and reflecting on my practices because almost predominantly kids just write and publish in there. And it's hard for me to 
say that that isn't massively beneficial to them, but it's also hard for me to say them doing it in a bunch of other ways isn't as beneficial. This goes back to our argument last week where we were asking, is it the English teacher's job to do this or should it be another teacher's job? As in like a media teacher, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, when when I heard the sound, you're talking about, I know I shared this before. Um, I don't know what podcast, but a while back. But um, anyway, when we did, uh, not at the school I'm at now, but, you know, a few years back, and then we didn't get to finish it because of COVID. All the kids went home and we never got to finish it. I had a, I had an actual student that was just fascinated by the use of sound. So I just, that kind of caught my attention. Uh, he was fascinated by the use of sound. And what, so that's what he chose to research. And when he did do his research on it, he discovered that advertiser, advertisers in advertising use sound to convince and persuade people to do certain things. And he was talking about the science of sound and why that's possible. So he wrote an essay about it, uh, but he didn't get finished with it because we had to, I don't know how it ended up, but I thought that was fascinating. So when I saw that sound to advance critical listening, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, what do I think? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I I think I tried to do this as much as possible uh, with but I don't do it with everything. I'll, I mainly do it with the research things. You know what I mean? Where they get to choose the way they want to uh, do their end product. And so they can create all different types of stuff. And I do think that they're more engaged. But sometimes what I find is they get a little more frightened. Does that make sense? Because they really do not have that much experience. They have experience in being a consumer of these things they're not uh like uh you know as we were talking about earlier uh instagram and you know blogs and things like that they're they're a consumer but they're not necessarily always a creator does that make sense like they might have one thing that they create in which might be instagram but they don't know how to do a blog or they don't know how to do a podcast or they don't know how to do a website so that was something that i found they they were kind of felt a little, um, uh, you know, overwhelmed at the idea that they might have to do something besides a paper or that some of them ask, can I just do the poster board, please? Can I just do a poster board? <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is, we're moving beyond poster board, you know? And they're like, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, that's where I talked about on the last podcast who in, and maybe what you're getting at is, Who's responsible for helping and teaching the students how to use these things? Because thank goodness I had had my own experience with creating a website using Google Sites. So it's not necessarily kind of the website that, that you know, we've created um, for, our, for our craft and draft. But it, it was like a, it's almost kind of pre-made for you, you know, kind of like a s'more is. The kids felt overwhelmed. Because they weren't used to creating like that. They're used to using worksheets and they're used to uh, using those poster boards. So they wanted to go back to what they knew. So, uh, but like I said earlier, it's hard as a teacher to not be overwhelmed, wondering what we need to do to help these students. So I think that's what you're saying. Do we need to have another class for this? But then I really kind of don't want them to have another class because I like being the one in there. So I'm kind of selfish. Yeah, I mean, here's, I think, the the crux of all of this. And this is, I guess, what a lot of this is leaning into. 
which is and probably I mean honestly a good capstone for a lot of this discussion is the I think some people their you know their feelings might be a little ruffled a little bit about the idea that English classrooms become less about specific books or specific writing. I mean, here's the thing, like what I feel like what people feel about the classics, I feel about writing pieces like the, like it hasn't happened, but the moment I sit in a PD and they're like, why are you just having kids write pieces when you can have them create videos and podcasts and all these things? I'd be like, but they need to write pieces. There's so much value there. Like I'll be that person. And honestly, I feel like, um, I still have a proper defense of that the same way. I feel like people have defense of novels. I think, you know, there's no guarantee that this specific, uh, statement is going to just take over. Right. I mean, there's, they talk about institutional change and systematic change and that requires funding and it requires the governments to do certain things and it requires a a lot of stuff to happen. So you have this, I mean, there's a lot of limitations to this. Now teachers can close their door and do whatever they want, right? They do it all the time. A lot of our listeners do that. We've done it before. Um, Speak for yourself, Jacob. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. You follow all it. the rules. I follow all the rules. <laughs> Just kidding, everybody. But I mean, honestly, we don't have to do that now, right? Like our where we're at, like we don't. One, oh, yeah. we have glass walls, so people can just see them if they wanted to. But we're, <laughs> I mean, our principal, you know, she just recently told us that, you know, not only is our seventh grade team the model for everyone, but the English department is the model for all the other departments happening right now. So we're in a, a place to where not only did uh, what would be considered pushback just a few years ago, we're we're actively he not only getting praised by our leadership, but having massive success on tests where we're not just, we're not teaching to the test and we're not doing any of the stuff that would be quote unquote preparing for tests. We're using workshop and we're using tons of reading and we're using tons of writing. And some of that is talked about here in this uh, article where um, it, it's really a call for just a deeper learning, so to speak, but a learning that's more modernized. And um, I think that's challenging for some of us. I think I'm not, I'm not convinced that this doesn't need to be like, we don't need just really heavy media seat media seat. I said that last time too. media uh, media should be the term that we use for media literacy. That is what that is called from now on. It's called Mediacy. I coined that. If anyone uses it, you'll be sued. Just kidding. Um, okay. But the, the it, I'm not convinced that we don't need people in that role to where the, like a, I could see a media classroom just really focused on this and it being a focus. Like I'm, I'm honestly surprised there's not like an avid for media. I mean, maybe there is. I don't know. Have you ever heard of that? Because for people who are unfamiliar, avid is like a. Um, at its best, it's a school-wide um, focus for kids and teachers to really guide thinking and organization and all kinds of stuff. And it serves as like the bedrock for education on campuses. Um, it's it's very effective. But, I mean, is there a media version of that to where it's like – I mean, maybe STEM schools? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, have you – do you know what I'm asking? Well, yeah. I mean, like is uh, media is the center for the school that guides everything that everybody does. Um, maybe that's something we need to do. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> maybe that could be a focus. I don't know. Maybe we could add it to our leadership stuff that we do. 
I don't know, being leaders in media. I, I don't think there is one. If there is, maybe somebody can let us know if there's a listener that knows. Well, I'm not sure. So I have one thing I thought about just now, and I, I think this is this is more of a reflective question for myself and you know who whoever else finds it reflective really is in our own practices. Uh, what role should media really play? And what we do, and what I mean, and what I mean by that question is, it's the it's the constant of looking at what is it that we're trying to do in our classrooms. What is what is it that we're we're trying to move forward with, and what does that look like? And you know, I love innovation, but if if everything comes down to oh, what is the new tech that we're using? What is the new program we're using? What is the new, you know, the gadget of the week that we're using? And all of our professional development becomes about that, right? It's, we're going to lose, we're going to lose the entire point of this, which is elevating literacy. And I think this is, this is something that the article doesn't talk about, which is there are snakes in the, I mean, the tech world is huge. There is so much money to be had in the tech world. And so you have all of these companies and all of these experts and all of these consultants that try to sell their secret bullet to education, right? Our programs get funneled in. We, I've made, I've been vocal about programs and uh, the, what I think they're good and definitely not good for. Um, but this is the reality is like there were, there's going to have to be people in charge who understand that not ju- just because it's talking about tech doesn't mean it's good for you. Just because it's cutting edge, so to speak, doesn't mean it's going to support literacy practices. Literacy comes first. Reading and writing comes first, which is where last week we talked about maybe the, maybe books and writing shouldn't be decentered. They should be the center and everything else should be around it. I think that's my major disagreement with this whole thing is and one of the only ones, but that that's one of my core ones, which is. The core is still reading and writing. We have a podcast called Paper is King, where we talk about the the research behind why paper is still valid and why we use journals still and and do all that. It's not because we're anti-tech. It's because this is the core. If we can get the core running, if we can get reading and writing super focused for our students and get them to enjoy the process and find themselves in the process and, and evolve through the process, then the tech can start amplifying. Now they make the argument that tech can kind of do that. And maybe there is room for tech to be the, the catalyst. And then we guide them into that. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but to me, the core is reading and writing and then everything else is extra. Yeah. I have to say, I agree. I mean, I, when they, when I read that part that said decenter, that, that really kind of caught my cross, so to speak. I, um, I, I just really think you're right about it needs to be about literacy first. I've always um, felt like that, uh, you know, but, but they need, but, but literacy is, is more broad than just, um, you know, books too. So uh, if they're going to, if they're going to use all of these things, they need to be, we have to teach literacy in these, in these things, you know, in these, uh, in this media. But I do think it starts with uh, reading. I do think it starts with writing. And I think it starts with uh, reading and writing a variety of things. And ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode 
of Craft and Draft. It has been fun talking about this. We're not going to talk about this next week. We'll have a different topic uh, coming up. We're planning some wonderful PD. But if you want to check out that NCT article, I highly recommend it, especially if you listen to both of these episodes. What are your thoughts? Send us your thoughts, especially your Patreon supporters. Send us what you think. What do you think? Did we, did we take anything wrong? Did we do you massively disagree? I would love for someone to write in who massively disagrees with it just because I would love to interact with that different point of view because I think, you know, probably 75 to 85% of it we agree with. Um, and there's, you know, we kind of differentiate depending on there, but I would love to hear someone who's like, no, this is bad or whatever. This is something that we shouldn't have on. I know I have some Twitter friends who uh, took a lot of disagreement with this. Maybe we could bring one of them on craft and draft i don't know maybe maybe that could be a bonus episode i don't know let us know if you want us to talk about this anymore if you're over <laughs> this post because we could probably keep diving into it but in any case well, ladies and gentlemen oh go ahead go ahead there, no there's a lot here so yeah we could i mean yeah we skipped over quite a bit we, we skipped over quite a bit yeah and there's and that's the interesting part. So we'll see. I mean, if you want us to keep going, maybe for the bonus episode for Patreon, let us know. We'll see uh, what we can do. But subscribe so you don't miss anything. We drop an episode every single Friday for you and your listening pleasure. If you've enjoyed this podcast, leave a rating. Hit that star button in your podcast app. Maybe type some words if you're feeling extra generous. Support us on Patreon if you're a huge fan or if you really want to make sure that we can keep doing this podcast and keeping it live and keeping it running because things are not cheap out there in the world. We have to pay for all kinds of things for the website. So it really does help to have your support there. But if you can't do that, then sharing this with your team, sharing it on social media, and really just listening every single week really does help us as well. So whether you are a paid supporter or a free listener, we love you. We thank you very much. And know that we are here for you. <laughs>